Welcome to Downtown Sports. I am the mouth of the South, John Schiavone, along with my co-host, the Beast of the East, Jonathan Periente. This is Downtown Sports. This is where sports come home. And before we get started with this uh, very jam-packed show, the return of the NBA Top 10, and in our second segment, we will have Robin Lundberg from Sports Illustrated. But... This show overall, except for the top 10, because that'll be a nice, fun thing. We're going to talk about, you know, good teams. This show is going to be about, uh, forget the fact that, you know, I'm an analyst. I I I need to talk to Robin as a fan because what we've been watching on the court with these Knicks, what we've been seeing on the football fields with these Giants and these Jets, it's just not good enough. And I don't know how I can analyze it any further mm. because it's it, 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 waiting for them to be good is like waiting for Godot. And I'm sick of it. I want to know when it's going to turn around. Beast. Yeah. Let's just get into things. Please. So I'll, yeah. Let's go you, right into this. Topic. Whatever you want to do at this point. You know, I've had to see enough of New York for the last 10 years to know where, what direction we're going. The problem is as long as the ownership is what it is right now and they're not willing to change, then what's going to change? What's going to change if not, if the owners are not going to change, then what is going to change? Is it going to take a younger mind to take over a team to finally just say, we're doing it this way or the highway? Look, at least when the Wilpons left, Steve Cohen took over, breath of fresh air. And I hear the Mets are here. They are ask- stronger than ever. You know what? I'm going to ask Robin about our my billionaire's plan. Rem- remember that billionaire plan I told you about off off uh, air? Yes. Yeah, I- I'm going to ask Robin about that plan because I think it's the only way we can change ownership without just. <sighs> Let's get into the NBA yeah. top 10. Let's begin. I want to thank Tony Mainville for providing us with this NBA top 10. Our good old researcher, Mr. Mainville. I guarantee you it's Nick free. Well, let's start with the team that's number 10 on the top 10. All right, this is interesting. It's the Denver Nuggets at mm-hmm. fourth in the fourth in field goal percentage at 46.8%, fifth in assists per game at 25.8. Nikola Jokic leading the team with 26.3 points per game, which is sixth in the NBA. 13 and a half rebounds per game, which is second in the league, and then seven and a half assists, which is 10th in the league. But again, you know, the, the the Nuggets play in a very crammed and very tight Western Conference. Uh, we've always talked about it, and you know, we, we've talked about this a long time, how the Western Conference always is so jam-packed with just a, a, a glut of very strong teams. And the fact that the Nuggets, the Nuggets are on this, and they are what? They're barely... They're just they're in the, they're only in the fifth spot right now at sixteen and fifteen. They're only like in the five spot. It's incredible. I mean, I mean, how do I put this? The Western Conference is Phoenix and Golden State, and then everybody else. That's literally where we're at with the Western Conference. The Western Conference, in a weird way, has shifted and almost become like the East. The East now, literally every team but two is involved. In the West, not so much. I don't think it's yeah. as uh, the West is very top heavy right now. 
The Nuggets sit in the five spot with that, with the, the records 15 and 14. They sit in the number, but they sit at five with this record, which is extraordinary. How they sit at five with this record, it, it's really incredible. Well, Normally 15 and 14, that'd be enough to be like maybe near the dead bottom, maybe even out of the top eight. Yeah. And like five. I said, the, the Western Conference has changed, ladies and gents. It really has. Yeah. It, it's been almost like a reversal of fortunes here. Mm. Number nine. Yeah, number nine is the Miami Heat, 18 and 13 in the Eastern Conference, sixth in the league in three-point percentage at 36.5%. Miami Heat, is a, it's been a very interesting story with them. You know, again, you got to credit Eric Spolstra for what he's been able to put together with this culture, a good young nucleus of talent, and you really just love what Bam Adebayo has brought. You love what Tyler Hero has brought. You love what? Duncan Robinson's brought to the table with this team and the heat just, they just continue to pick up really from where they left off the last couple of years. But can they keep it up though in what's become, and we all agree with this, a much more competitive Eastern conference. Well, let's just uh, show you the uh, difference between the Eastern and the Western conference right now. Yeah. You said uh, the nuggets sit at fifth, right? At 15 and 14. Yes. And when you go down, when you go down the East, the lowest seed is 16 and 17. Let me just say this. The Heat are five and they are 18 and 13. Yeah. You could see a very clear difference between the top of the Eastern Conference and the bottom of the Eastern Conference. And there's a very clear difference in skill level. Because from the Nets to the Heat, all 19 wins, 18 wins and above. Then the Sixers are at 16 and 15. So are the Wizards. And then your eighth seed is 16 and 17 in the West. Once you get past the Grizzlies, it's literally all 15 and 16 win teams down the line. Mm. Until you get to obviously the Spurs, the Thunder, and you know that. everybody else below. So, how different is this? We haven't seen something like this since the nineties. This this looks more like a uh, Western Conference out of the nineteen nineties, not in uh, this millennium. A major shift in power is what's happened here. Major shift. And look, I. I credit that the East is finally back to being competitive. It's been such a long time since we've seen the East really be relevant in a long time. And you remember uh, Ian Eagle really brought that up very, very clearly last week. He, at least in the last number of years, he hasn't seen the East as competitive as he's seen it until now. Uh, by the way, check that episode yeah. out. It's called Fly, Fly like, like an Eagle, Eagle. Mm-hmm. featuring the best the best play-by-play broadcaster on the planet today is Iron Eagle. Definitely. So you want to hear what he's got to say about the NFL. So we'll see the Eastern conference. We're going to see it heat up a lot more. We're only about 31 games into the season. So let's see how things go. Let's go to the eighth team on the top 10. It's the Memphis Grizzlies. We just briefly talked about them 19 and 13. They're seventh in points per game at 110.8. They're second in the league in rebounds per game at 47. And they're seven and three in their last 10 games. So here the Grizzlies are, guys. I mean, this is uh, John Morant. He single-handedly took this Grizzlies team into the playoffs last year. And it seems like the Grizzlies are going to are continuing to build on that from last year. And here they are at 19 and 13. 
They're sitting in the four spot, and it's crazy how the only other team ahead of them that's is four losses better than is the Jets at twenty-one and nine. I mean, if you look at uh, Culver is backing up John Morant, that's a that that's a they got three very good point guards on this roster. Yeah, uh, I mean the Knicks. The, the Knicks barely have like one and a half point guards. This team's got three. Well, it's and by the way, out. one of the three is probably the second best point guard in the league behind Curry. Yeah. Well, it's already clear to say based on what happened with the, a couple of years ago with the the top three tra- draft picks that the Knicks were involved in. It's very clear Memphis was the team that won out of those three: John Morant over Barrett and over Zion. And then it's looking he, more he, and more like it every day. Yeah, and, and the New Zealand Mauler, Stephen Adams. Let me just give you his last couple of games, right? Please. Uh, only played 20 minutes against the Thunder, gets 14 rebounds. 36 minutes against uh, the Blazers, gets 13 points and 9 rebounds. 31 minutes against the Kings, 12 rebounds. He's averaging 25 minutes a game, 7 points, 9 rebounds a game. He. Pretty much, if you give him more time in the games, he's going to be a double double machine for you. This guy, it, look at what he's doing. It, look at the roster. They have, like, little things that they do very well. Yeah. And uh, the other like the player. Receivers. Yeah, I mean, the other player you got to look at is Brooks. Yeah, I mean, if, they, if I'd say if the Grizzlies get at least another score, with Brooks and to go around with. Well, no, they have, here's the other score. 35 minutes against the Thunder, 19 points against the Blazers. The night directly before 37 points. Then on the road in Sacramento, 23 points. I'd still say give him another score. 19.7 points per game right now. I still say with one more score, I think the Grizzlies are going to be, are going to be a real threat in the West. I think people are going to start seeing it very soon. I think they're a threat now. Well, let's see what happens as the rest of the season goes on. Let's go to the seventh team on the top 10. It's the Milwaukee Bucks, 19 and 13. They're third in rebounds per game at 47. Jonas has been kind of in and out of the lineup. He's averaging 27 points per game, which is fourth in the league. But Giannis has been in and out with COVID over the last little while. But the Bucks are in the fourth spot, 19 and 13. They're just ahead of Miami by a game. You surprised though the Bucks are kind of where they are right now? You think maybe the, no, the Bucks have dropped a little bit? Look, they are the defending champions. The East has gotten a lot more competitive around them. Chicago has shown up in a big way. You're right. As has the Cavs. Mm-hmm. All the work that those two teams have been doing over the past couple of years finally culminated. Yep. Honestly, the Knicks should have signed Lonzo Ball, but you uh, know, a lot of things. No, no one cared should've, about what I said. Should have, would have, could have, but uh, we'll ask Robin right now. Well, it is. We'll what ask it is Robin right about all that because I can't stand it anymore. I'm tired of talking about teams being good that are not in New York. Well, it's a different market, maybe because the pressure of playing in New York is what scares a lot of players away from wanting to play in New York. It's a good com. It's. It's only it only makes a little bit of logical sense when you think about it. That's why they uh, excel in all these other smaller market cities. They're not. And let me tell you something. New York City is not the destination it used to be for sports athletes. Uh, it really isn't. They want to go to Miami. They want to party like they want to go to L.A. They want to party. Uh, New York 
yeah, we're a party city too, but now with, uh, especially with the mandates with COVID, which I happen to agree with, but yeah, a lot of players don't. Yeah. Let's move her along. Number six team. And we just talked about them. The team that's right ahead of the bucks, the Cleveland Cavaliers are number six on the top 10. They're ninth in three point percentage at 36. They're tied for sixth in free throw percentage. And they've won six straight games. And, you know, we talked about the Cavaliers. Jared Allen has really begun to play up to that $100 million contract he signed to, to, to play there. And really what he's brought to the Cavs, in addition to the rest of the young talent, that kid Garland, really incredible. And the Cavaliers to be where they are, and they don't even have Colin Sexton right now. You imagine if they had Sexton, how much dangerous the Cavs would be right now, how much more deadly they'd be right now. They're sitting just, at three just, in the East. They're sitting at three. I just want to show you. I just want to say something. I, I, I just want to show you all something right now. Please. December 18th. December 18th. Right. 23 minutes, 15.7 rebounds, right? This is Garland. December, hold on, hold on. December yeah, 15th versus the Rockets. 15 minutes, 15 points, six rebounds against the Heat. 24 minutes, 23 points. Nine rebounds. This person throughout the entire year is averaging 20 minutes per game, 12 points, and seven rebounds. Who am I talking about? I give up. This is Kevin Love. Wow. Kevin Love. Look at what he's doing in less than half of the game. He's averaging a point a minute coming off the bench for that Cavs team. That's huge. That's a guy you could put in and have him go in and score. So he's gone from a star to being like kind of a role player now. Yeah. And he, I'm, I'm happy he's taken it in stride. I'm happy he's been able to to transition to that role. It's hard for a star player like him who was once an all-star and was a critical part of NBA titles. And now he's kind of letting the kids take over. Now he he's letting the next, the next, the torch be passed, if you will. Well, by the way, two days ago, Kevin Love moved to number 10 on the Cavaliers list of most points scored in franchise history. That's tremendous. Tremendous. I couldn't, and look, I'm, look, I'm happy for him. I'm happy that he's, you know, he's, he's helping kind of, mentor these young kids. He's helping mentor kids like Garland. You're seeing uh, Allen providing a good presence on their defense to really help bring them along. And would you be surprised? Could you imagine Jared Allen? And then you take out Jared Allen. Who's coming in to replace Jared Allen. Oh, it's Kevin Love. I mean, that's just like, that's a, a, that's a dream. It is. It it really is a dream. And it really is. And then Osmond is, is the other power forward. Osmond. Yeah. He's, He's got a lot of talent, and you know, Coach Coach Bickerstaff has got a lot of gems on this basketball team that I think he could soon mold into a maybe an elite unit down the road. Maybe and be an he's elite got team. the veteran leadership in Mobley, Love, and Ricky Rubio, along with Jared Allen. That that's a great lineup of veterans to lead your team. And you Don't got a bunch of team, young guys. kids. Now, nah, this is this is a team that can actually do some damage. Let's see if they can continue playing as well as they've played. Yeah. On to the team that's number five on our top ten. 
And we're continuing our rise up the Eastern Conference. It's the Chicago Bulls, number five, 19 and 10. They're second in the East, third in, in the league in three-point percentage. They're number one in free throw percentage, just under 82%. DeMar DeRozan, fifth in the league with 26.8 points per game. It's really been quite an incredible story if you're a Bulls fan. This team, you know, you got DeRozan, you, you got Lonzo Ball, and you already had Zach Levine. You just, you kind of wondered, was it going to blossom right away? Was it going to make the Bulls a, a threat in that East? Because, you know, they'd been bad for quite a number of years from the years when they had Jordan and all that. They were, they've kind of been in and out of, you know, relevancy for a number of years. You had Derrick Rose, yes, back in 2008. And then they kind of fell off after the Thibodeau years. But look at where the Bulls are now. Billy Donovan running things and you get Ball, you get DeRozan. And look at this Bulls team. And then you have Levine as your number three in that big three. Incredible. Zach Levine. Everybody keeps on forgetting about Zach Levine. He's been with the Bulls forever. Um, And now he finally got playmakers around him. Now he finally has weapons that he didn't have. And now he does. Yep. And And Lonzo Ball is probably the most unselfish player in the NBA. You everybody knows that he makes a huge impact whenever he hits the court, right? Yep. Like everybody watches him and is in awe of his play. Let me just give you the numbers because if you look at them, they seem pedestrian, right? Mm-hmm. Um against the Rockets, right? 35 point 35 minutes, only 19 points. He was uh 50% from the floor, almost 50% from three. Five rebounds, eight assists, one block. You think that's not – those numbers aren't so great, right? He only scores about 12 points per game. Those yeah, but only... he had five steals. Um, yeah. Let me get you another game. The Cavalier game. Uh, Cavalier game. Uh, three steals. Two steals against the Nets. He got five steals against the Magic. And whenever – and generally when he gets a lot of steals – you see his assists go up. Yeah. Yeah. So he's doing it all through defense. Oh, and by the way, you know, he's a shot blocker at six, six, uh, four mm. blocks against the nuggets. He had one block. He's had one block at, in his last three games, every single game. He's had uh, one block against the Rockets, one block against the Lakers, one block against the heat. What he does is all the little things. Lonzo yeah. ball is kind of like that player that's going to go out and do all of the dirty, gritty, disgusting work. Not to mention he's 6'6 for a point guard. He's 6'6. Most point guards are not 6'6. Yeah, no, most point guards are not 6'6, but most point guards can't distribute the ball like Lonzo does. And Lonzo Ball's a throwback to an old-school-style point guard. You want to know what player he reminds me of? Stockton. I was going to say a little bit of Rajon Rondo for me. Maybe a little bit of Rondo, just a smidge. Stockton how he passes kind of, the ball like Ro- he so passes did, so like did, Stockton. So did does. Rondo. So did Rajon Rondo. He did the same thing. Rondo moves I think the ball. He's better around. than Rondo. I think he's better oh, than I Rondo. I think he definitely is better. Oh, I agree that he's better than him 100%. But he does a lot of what Rondo used to do a little bit, but a little bit more, but just a smidge more. He does, he does some of those. You mentioned the little things that most point guards do not do. And like Ian Eagle said, this, if you're other than the Nets in the Eastern Conference, if you're looking at a team 
That's a complete basketball team from top to bottom. That's Steer the clear of the Bulls. Bulls. Steer clear of them. Let's go to the fourth team on our top 10. And you know what? We just mentioned them. So we're going to finish our run up the East. Who, have, who else is number four? The Brooklyn Nets, 21 and nine. Second in free throw percentage, sixth in assists per game. Kevin Durant leads the league in scoring with just under 30 points per game. And by the way, they're sixth in assists per game, and that's, that's without Kyrie. And possibly soon up. to get him back. The scary part is they could soon get him back. They could soon. They're getting him back. He's going well, to be playing road for games. Ro- for road, yeah, for road games only. Can you imagine he was playing all games for the rest of the year, how much more deadly the Nets would be right now? The fact that they've been able to still be where they are without Irving has been incredible. The young kids that the Nets have drafted for the last couple of years you know what? They've become more valuable than I think people thought. Honestly, you know, you you know, you have a whole team of stars and you don't really think about some of those guys on the bench. You don't think about some of those kids that you drafted over the last couple of years. You kind of when you're a team with 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 stars, you kind of maybe toss them to the side a little bit. But they picked up the slack in some games when the Nets really needed them. You know, that they is really true. have. They really that have. That's true. That is true. But if you want to know all about that with the Nets, we encourage you to go listen to our interview with Ian Eagle. He explains it a lot better yes. than we ever could here on here. For sure. uh, so for sure, let's get on to the number, number three, three team on this top yep. 10. Now we go to the West. It's the Utah jazz number three on the top 10, 21 and nine first in points per game at 115.4 a game. They lead the league in rebounds per game at 47 and a half. They're second in field goal percentage at 47.7. This is already reminiscent of what the Jazz did last year. And Rudy Gobert leads the league with 15 rebounds per game. And yet the Jazz Jazz are three. And yet the Jazz are three on the top ten, and they're third in the West. There's two teams that really do deserve to be ahead of them. In fact, I think the team that was number four deserves to be a little bit ahead of the team that's number three on this list. You think the Nets should be ahead of the Jazz? Correct, because of the fact that the Nets uh, went down to every last player on their bench and they're actually winning basketball games with Kevin Durant, James Harden, you, me, the guy down the street, the uh, and the guy, Tim, who works behind the counter at the gas station. <laughs> Well, I think the reason why the Jazz, the Jazz are where they are again because they have a star and he's still very young in Donovan Mitchell. He's still a he's still just a 20, 23, 24 years old. He's still a young kid. But the Nets, a lot of their, you know, a lot of this net team now, you have Harden and Durant. They're in their 30s now. They're they're kind of at that peak of their career and but their window is soon gonna close. They're Durant not gonna has do this for never another never looked better. Okay, he's at the peak of his career then, if we want to be fair and say that. Eventually, that peak is going to plummet. Like, uh, you, you tumble down and you go up the mountain, you're eventually going to go down the mountain. That's just what's going to happen. Look at Kevin Love is the perfect example. Yeah, and Kevin Love took the back seat, and he's letting the kids now lead the team, and he'll come in off the bench if they need him. That's and a good he's veteran scoring leader. damn near 20 yeah. points a game. That's a good veteran leader right there. Perfect. And, you know, maybe this is good for Love. Love doesn't have to play the minutes that he has to anymore. Look at Derrick Rose. Derrick Rose can come off the bench. He doesn't have to start. Yeah, you're absolutely right. But here's the thing. With the Jazz, actually with the top four teams on this top 10, right? Yeah. 
it really doesn't matter what they do in the regular season anymore. The Jazz, after last year, have pretty much become a part of that echelon that's going to be a favorite in the playoffs every year, and not just flame, make it. And then they flame out when the playoffs, when the bright lights get on them. So he, here's the thing. I really don't care what the Jazz do in the regular season anymore. Just like I don't care what these other two teams are doing in the regular season anymore. It's what you do in the playoffs. Yeah, what you do in the playoffs. And, and you'll realize why when we named the top two teams. Yes, yeah. go ahead. And number two ahead of them. Well, I think it really is no surprise. Golden State is number two on the top 10. 25 there. and six. Fourth there. in points per game. They're third in field goal percentage. Second in assists per game. And third in the league is Stephen Curry at 27 points. And you know what's even scarier now? January, the Warriors are getting back Clay Thompson. Oh, God. You know how much more dangerous Golden State's about to become in the West? Oh, oh no. The, yeah. the, the, oh, no. Oh, oh no. yes. Oh, oh, oh yes. Oh, no. Yeah, the Splash Brothers. The Splash Brothers are finally going to reunite after two long years. Curry is still dishing out an average of six assists a game. Wait till Clay Thompson comes back. Curry's point totals are going to go down. He's going to stop averaging about 27 points and go more to about 22 or 23 points a game. But he's going to have about 12 assists because if he's not shooting a three, he's kicking it out to an open Thompson. Yep. And we already seen that Golden State's got a bunch of other weapons they can get the ball to. Andrew Wiggins can pick up the slack if, yes, God forbid, Curry or, or Thompson are off. You have a couple of, again, you have a you have a good bench behind you that can score points if need be. Golden State is primed for another NBA title run, ladies. I mean, Draymond is still there. Yeah, he's still leading. That core three is still there. That core three has not gone anywhere. Andre Iguodala is still on this team. Yep. Yep. And now, actually, they happen to just pick him up off the street, pretty much. Gary Payton the second is as if they need another Warriors bench. As if they need another weapon. Well, got to give credit where credit's due. Yep. Uh, in terms of weaponry, this is like the store. This is like the weapon store of a castle. Okay. Like yep. you got like, here's the cannons. Here's the swords. Here's the bow and arrows, you know? Yep. And now finally, as Golden State is going to soon be that team, I think everyone will fear. Let's go to the team that right now everybody does fear in the NBA right now. And it's a team that was number one. And people were obviously, you know, not sure if they were going to be able to do this. Were they going to be able – was last year a fluke in, in the NBA final? But it's no fluke, ladies and gents. Number one team, the Phoenix Suns, 24-5. and five. First in field goal percentage. They're third in points per game, fourth in three-point percentage. Eight and two in their last ten games. They at one point had a 18-game winning streak at one point, did the Phoenix Suns, and they were blowing teams away. It's scary how much more dangerous the Phoenix Suns have become from one year ago. Um, okay. So Booker, Paul, DeAndre Ayton. What more there can you, you go. say? What more can you say? I don't know what else to say other than Paul, Booker, and DeAndre Ayton. Those are the three that are getting it done. And the Suns built this big three, two of them in the draft. And they exactly. picked up a veteran that no one else believed in anymore. Yeah. 
And now you have a Chris Paul that is so motivated to play 14.4 points a game, Mm -hmm. 10 assists per game. Chris Paul is averaging a double-double every single night. Oh, yeah, and he's averaging about two steals a game. How incredible is that? And the great thing about all this, Booker and Aiton are still in their 20s. They're still in their 20s. And they're learning from Chris Paul. And they're only getting better with each and every day. That's the scariest thing. And, and, and I'm telling you guys, I don't think Phoenix is far away from finally winning an NBA title. Hold on. Uh, let me just give you I don't Booker's think far numbers. Away. I don't think they're let me far give, away. Please. Let me give you Booker's numbers, please. 22.9 points per game. He shoots over 40% from three, 45% from the floor. He averages five rebounds a game. I mean, those are he, very good numbers, but they're but like he not... himself. Also, here's the other one. And he's yeah. the main scorer on this team, right? Yeah. He averages four and a half assists per game, about five assists per game. Okay. I mean, those so are very solid numbers. could you imagine what would happen when Chris Paul comes off this team eventually when he retires? Booker's oh. going to turn around and become a mega a distributor as well. Because well, he's already doing it inside of an offense where Chris Paul is getting 10 assists a game. Yeah. I would say I wouldn't be surprised if maybe Phoenix is starting to think about getting that next point guard when Chris Paul's time is up. And then that next point guard can take over and do what Chris Paul used to do and further elevate Booker and Eaton. I honestly think Booker might be that guy that takes over the point. That will be an interesting thing to see going forward. The Suns have a lot of good things at their disposal for the next five, about the next five to six years. Now the key is, can the Suns not screw it up? That's going to be a very big key for them. And I'd like to see what will happen when they've already had, they've already had some epic matchups with Golden State already in just a couple of games. Now with Clay coming back, can the Suns be able to hold the Warriors off or at least stay on the same pace with them. How long is it going to take Clay to get into basketball shape though? Well, he's been, I can already tell you, he's been working very hard to come back. Remember he's been out of the league for two years. Yeah. That ACL knocked him out for two years. You know how hard it is to come back from two years of an injury. Maybe, you know, ACLs normally take about a year to come back from, right? Maybe six months to a year. Longer than that. Mostly longer. Yeah. And that maybe Thompson had additional injuries to that ACL that were much more that were, that ACL was much more extreme of an injury than people thought. Yeah. But the whole the point is this: Clay could come back as early as January 9th. That's not good. January 9th. That's the earliest Clay can come back. Now well, Clay is 31. Now Clay is 31 years old. Now, so he's not going to be able to. Will he have that same explosive speed that, that he used to have? Maybe have that. I don't know if he will. He but has to get in the basketball. There. He has to get in the basketball shape. We don't like what. Here's what I mean. There's only so much you could do in a gym. True. There's only so much you could do in a gym. You could work as hard as you want in a gym, lifting weights, running, doing calisthenics and uh, yep. cardio and power training, lifting and all that. Mm-hmm. But when you get onto an NBA floor and play an NBA game. 
it's a completely different animal. Yeah. When I say basketball shape, you have to be able to run down the court, quickly jerk, get to a basket, get to a basketball, jump in the air, get knocked over, probably fall on your on your backside and, um, you know, have to get up and run and do it all over again. That, that's that's there's no gym work that's going to prepare you for that. Yeah. I mean, it's... So how long until Clay Thompson actually becomes useful? Well, he might come back in January, but maybe got to give him till February to really start getting into the groove of things. So yeah. if you're the sons, you need to take this period where Clay Thompson's coming back. Clay had two injuries, by the way, just so we just to kind of backtrack a little bit. Obviously, you remember the torn ACL. Then while he was coming back, then he tore his Achilles. So he's had an ACL and he's had a torn Achilles. Also, it's like Durant. Yeah. Come back from a double whammy of injury. Because remember, this, this is right around the same time Durant was out with his injuries. Same time, roughly about. So, well, like what, I said, what Clay Thompson sons, are we going to see? Here's uh, I'll, I could I could give you that. I, I could tell you the future right now. Yep. Clay Thompson's going to come back and not have a great month of January because he's not in basketball shape. But give him February, March. Yeah. And we'll see what happens. And if you're, if the, you're sons, the sons, you yeah. had better start getting some games ahead of the Warriors. By the Distancing time the end of yeah. January comes, you need to be about four games ahead because that's where. Because I think Clay will give them an extra four wins down the line than they would have had before. So if you're the Suns, you need to have a four-game lead. Well, the Suns have some very winnable games coming up. And by the way, they're going to see Golden State on Christmas. So that should be a very good matchup for them. They'll be well, in beat Phoenix Golden for that. State. Yep. Beat Golden State, you have to. Then you got the Thunder. Should be able to beat the Thunder, right? That's the hell. Don't. Should. You can't sleep should. on either of these teams, though. Yeah, should. So we will see, ladies and gentlemen. We're going to see. The rest of the West and the East. We're almost at the halfway point of the NBA season. Who is going to climb the ladder? And who will become that team to look out for in the second half of the NBA season? Oh, we're going to find out. But right now, I want to thank Tony for providing us with this top 10. We're going to take a break. And when we come back, our man from Sports Illustrated is going to make a second appearance on our show. That's right. Mr. Robin Lundberg will be back to discuss NBA, particularly oh my God. the state of the New York Knicks. Ugh. And really just the state of our state of our New York teams in general right now. We, we, ownership we, and yada yada. It's I, I don't see any hope. You don't see, see any no hope. hope. Well, maybe no Mr. Hope. Lundberg will see some hope. Maybe Robin Lundberg sees a little bit of hope that we where we don't see it, you know? Maybe he's the ghost of maybe he's gonna be the ghost of New York sports future. I don't know. Try to show us that things are okay. I don't well, know. We're, well, we're gonna find out about that and more. Mr. Lundberg will join us in the second half of our show. Back after this. And we're back to downtown sports. Look, um, I am just annoyed with the New York Knicks and the state of New York football and just about everything having to do with New York sports, save the Brooklyn Nets. 
we have a very special guest to help us dissect what the hell went wrong. But first, Beast, where can they hear us? You can listen to Downtown Sports on 16 different platforms. We're on Anchor, Breaker, Spotify, Radio Public, Overcast, Pocket Casts, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, CastBox, Bullhorn, Podbay, Listen Notes, Podcast Addict, Verbal, Castro.fm, and Stitcher. We can now also be heard in, in, in now 18 countries. That's right. We now have a new country that has just tuned in for the first time to Downtown Sports. It is Thailand. So congratulations, and we thank our listeners now in our in Thailand for listening in to our podcast. We are Downtown Sports, and we are where sports come home. Come on home, everybody. Come listen to us. But for right now, it's somebody that you all listen to a lot. You all read his articles a bunch. I guarantee you do. His name is Robin Lundberg. He is from ESPN. He has done work for everything, but... One of his main focuses and the way I met him actually was uh, man. On, he was doing man on the street interviews for uh, ESPN about the New York Knicks. So he's been covering Knicks basketball for over 10 years. Robin, how you doing? Good, sir. I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Um, though maybe you should have a paper bag over your head instead of the mask. Like yeah. that's you know <laughs> in the theme of what's going on. Here. I think it's fair. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I kind of feel like I need a paper bag that says uh, Knicks fan. I think yeah. we all do because it's been the same old story again. One year they're really good. And then they go out and get players that just don't work with their system. And it feels like we're back to square one. It's not as if the Knicks are completely out of it. They could, if they start playing better, maybe go on a little bit of a run start to, you know, get themselves back in the playoff position, but it's just, it's just not looking good. Robin, is there any hope? Is there any hope left? I mean, it depends on what your definition of hope is. Um, I would say it was always a little bit of a uh, fool's gold. It was always a little fool's gold to believe that this current team was going to accomplish something crazy or something, you know, unique. I think what happened was they overachieved last season. The, you know, there was a greater gap, I think, between what I expected a team to be and what a team was with last year's Knicks than any team I can remember. Like, I thought that was, a you know, one of the worst teams in the league last year going in, and they wound up being pretty good and making the playoffs. Maybe you could argue in the playoffs, the bloom came off the rose a little bit. But I think it, this year you're starting to see that catch up because you could even argue they improved the roster a bit. But, the, you know, they're not uh, having the, the same results. And, and I think that's just, you know, they played above their heads last year for whatever that reason was, whether they played harder than everybody every night. Julius Randle had an outlier shooting season. I don't know, the empty stadiums or whatever might have factored into that. Um, I think if you're the Knicks now, you're looking at two possible paths. One is attempting to trade for someone. Um, you know, Damian Lloyd's been brought up a lot. I don't know if that makes much sense for them because you'd have to trade everything. And then he's not in a better situation than Portland. Uh, so unless there's like a, a commitment from a free agent uh, that, you know, on the low, that doesn't make sense. Ben Simmons is somebody I do think makes sense for the Knicks because he's a distressed asset right now. Meaning you could get Ben, I mean, you still have to trade for him, say trade something for him, but you can probably get Ben Simmons for less than you would have been able to at a different period of time. 
Um, his flaws would still come with him, but he'd immediately be the most talented player on the roster. So that is something I would at least explore. The other option is the draft. Um, and, and that's where you have to start looking again if, if you're a Knicks fan, because let's be honest, I think where they're at in this season, the upshot is now the play in tournament. And is that, you know, how much you want to go crazy to get there? Or do you want to start shifting your attention to adding young talent and playing the young talent that's already on the roster to, to try and develop them? So I, I don't think it's a disaster by any means, just because the only way it's viewed as a disaster is if your expectations were, and I, I get why fans' expectations were that way, but the expectations, I think, were a little too high for the team coming in. I just felt that. Maybe we would have picked up the right free agents. Maybe if you would have gotten the right players that actually fit the system that Tom Thibodeau likes to run. Uh. So I guess I guess the question is, if, if you're a Knicks fan, the Knicks started off strong. They went five and one. I mean, the Knicks didn't really change too much of what got them to the playoffs last year. Yeah, they added Fournier. Yeah, you added Kemba Walker. But the Knicks did let a few pieces from that success go, like Reggie Bullock. They let him go. He hasn't really done much with the Mavericks, but he was a very important piece of that Nick offense and defense. Are you surprised the Knicks didn't really attack that free agency maybe a, a little bit more? Are you kind of maybe surprised Leon Rose didn't go out and make the moves that maybe he should have made? I, I mean, I feel like that's all a little revisionist history. Who were the guys? You know, like, look, let's be real, Reggie Bullock, isn't changing anything for this team. Uh, you know, I, I Fournier's been bad, but I didn't hate that signing when they made it. I mean, he, he's he's a proven player in the league. I don't know what's going on exactly this year. Just a bad mix, whatever, bad fit with some of the, the backcourt mates, the lineups. I don't know. Um, but I, I didn't hate that signing personally. You know, but R Randall, I was not a fan of extending Julius Randall in the offseason personally. You know, I would have I would have allowed that situation to go into this year where I had the flexibility of trading him on an expiring deal, uh, re-upping him after he proved it again, or or um, letting him walk. Uh, his contract's not nuts, but he's just not a franchise player, right? And 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 I think, you know, it all comes. I would argue Derrick Rose is probably the best player on the team, or at least the guy I would trust the most in a game that matters. Um, so. That's good for Rose because it shows how he's refined his game as he's gotten older, but it's not a great sign for the composition of the roster long-term. Um, so this is, you know, still a team that it needs its foundational pieces. You know, um, I, I think quickly has been a nice player for them uh, considering where he was drafted. Toppin looks much better this year than he did last year. You know, they've got the other young guys that have just started getting into the mix. Uh, R.J. Barrett has, uh, you know, he's not going to be a superstar. Um, maybe, you know, he can be put in a better position to, to, to succeed going forward. He's still young. So they got some, some pieces to tinker with, mess around with. But they don't have their foundational pieces, which is the hardest thing to, to get. And in recent NBA history, how have teams acquired that those foundational pieces? Probably one of three ways, right? Mm -hmm. One, free agent signing. Yep. Um, and I don't know if there's that free agent out there or if the Knicks are in that position at that moment. Um, two, a trade for a disgruntled star 
when you have the, and maybe that's, you know, the Knicks are not uh, bereft of assets. They have their draft picks. They have some young players. So they could possibly put together a package or three, a draft, the, the draft and you develop them. Um, and I, I'd have to look at this year's class, but there, there's no reason the Knicks couldn't be fairly high in the draft this year, if that's the direction they, they choose to, to lean into. So I, I think until they get that player or players, there's a, there's a certain ceiling on what they can be. Uh, you have to hope that the current regime, there hasn't been any like scandal or drama with the current regime or like just signs of utter incompetence or anything like that. But um, it, it's not going to, you know, it's a superstar league and, and they don't have any superstars. Yeah. I mean, the other question I have is uh, Kemba Walker and coach Thibodeau, what is actually going on? Because uh, everybody like Walker seems to still be engaged. He's saying and doing all the right things, even though he's not playing. It's not as if he's like, you know, sullen on the bench, sitting and pouting. What is the actual story? What is actually going on there? Because I think if Kemba Walker actually blended with this team, you would be seeing them in a eighth or ninth position. Kemba Walker was a no risk acquisition for the Knicks um, because they didn't take him under his old salary, but Kemba, his knees uh, are shot. You know, he's, he's just not the same guy. He can have a, a flashback night here or there, but defensively, um, He's not very good, and uh, offensively, he's just going to not have it on a lot of nights because of that. And I don't know why he necessarily became the fall guy, if you will, or the scapegoat, because it did seem like Thibodeau was like, let's remove Kemba Walker. That's the problem. And clearly, he wasn't the problem, but I also don't think he's part of the solution. Um, You know, there's a reason Walker was available for the situation, the exact situation the Knicks got him for. There's a reason he doesn't have much trade value right now. He seems to be a, um, a model teammate about the whole thing, but he he's just at that phase of his career where his name is, is a lot bigger than his game. Talking with Robin Lundberg, and I wanted to bring up some of the Knicks' current young crew, the, young, the youngsters the Knicks have brought up here. Uh, we talked about Barrett just a little bit, but let's talk about Obi Toppin, Emmanuel Quickly. Uh, we've now started to see a bit of a rise with Miles McBride. What do you think of the current crop of the youngsters the Knicks have? And are you surprised maybe Thibodeau is not playing them as much as maybe he should be? You think maybe that Thibodeau starts going in the direction of you have to play the young kids. It, it's starting to be very apparent. I have to start playing them. Well, I think that might have to come from management a little bit mm-hmm. too. Mm-hmm. Thibodeau is, is, you know, he's been around the block. He likes his vets. He has his guys uh, that, you know, I mean, look at the connection with Rose or Gibson you know, what have you. Um, So I I think that would take a nudge because he's also tries to squeeze every bit of juice out of the orange. And and that's probably one of the reasons this season has gone the way it's gone is because he squeezed it all out last year. You got all the, you got all the juice, but then when you went for that squeeze this year, there was no juice left. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. It's like, wait, what? So I I think that might have to come from management a little. I mean, you're starting to see these guys play a bit more, Um, but if they want to make that full turn the page move, that probably has to come from up top. Well, and I think here's the reason why a lot of Knicks fans are so, oh my God, we got to do this now. Oh my God, we have a small window that we're good. It's because over the past 20 or so years, every time the Knicks even get a sliver bit of good, 
James Dolan comes in, overrides management, screws everything up for one player, uh, Carmelo Anthony trade. He'll come and do something like that. I think a lot of Knicks fans are very fearful of Dolan intervening too early, possibly getting rid of Leon Rose if they don't make the playoffs this year. What's how's Volcano Dolan doing? Is it dormant or is it active? (laughs) Yeah, I mean... I'd say the best thing about what's gone on so far is you haven't heard that name very much. Um, That's why I'm scared. (laughs) Yeah. So I would not try to, I wouldn't will it into existence. Anytime you have a franchise that is consistently inept, uh, generally that goes to ownership, right? Like above when you're changing coaches, when you're changing players, when you're changing GMs, what's the one thing that stays common, the, the owner. Um, Dolan has laid fairly low uh, in this era and last year's success bought some time. I I guess you're always wondering if he's behind door number two. Uh, But I would say as of right now, he has uh, taken a step back. So I think um, that's probably the best thing about what's going on for Knicks fans right now is that, you know, it doesn't feel like chaos and disarray. It's just, not a very talented team looking into the Knicks uh, upcoming week. Uh, and this is very important. I'm looking at the, the Christmas week that's coming up for them. And this is very interesting. They have Detroit coming up tonight. That's going to be the first challenge. Then you have the wizards, the Hawks, the Timberwolves and the Pistons. Again, they have a relatively light schedule going into the new year's break. If the Knicks can't at least win out this portion of the schedule, is it time to push the panic button a little bit and maybe is Thibodeau in a little bit of trouble here as well as the whole Nick team? I mean, I guess he could be because of the media. And, uh, it just, it depends on what the players are saying. It feels wild to me after last season that he could be in trouble. Uh, the whole I mean, rumbling. I, yeah. It yeah, takes it, a couple of bad losses and boom. I mean, to be honest, he's about the most stable thing in the organization right now. If it's me, you know, he's proven he's, he's, you know, he's not perfect but he's been a winner at the NBA level. So that would seem rash as far as I'm concerned. And it's another, you know, that would be another um, coaches are easy because you can always get rid of them. They're the first solution, but how many times are you going to go through that game and and play that game? I, I don't think, I really don't think the Knicks problems stem from the fact that the coach isn't getting the most out of the team. I, I don't think that's the case. I, I, I just look, look at the roster. Look at the roster. It, you know, Mitchell Robinson, what is he bringing? Injuries. Yeah. Uh, Time off. Uh... Nerlens Noel, is, he's good at, with his hands around the basket. He can, he can alter shots. Besides that, that's, that's about it. Um, Julius Randle is more in line with his career this year than, than last year. R.J. Barrett, I mean, other than people who were looking at the rosiest picture of him, I, you know, he, he's kind of been in this at that level. Um, quickly, he's been a good, nice surprise. Toppin's starting to come into his own, but I don't think either of those guys is, you know, ever going to be a star. Um, who else is on the team? I mean, Rose is, you know, older. Walker, we just talked about. Uh, Burks has played pretty, pretty, pretty well, but again, that's like a, you know, a journeyman. Um, they just don't have the they don't have the horses. It's a big problem. 
I wanted to bring up a changing gears now. I want to go over to there's an article I found that was very interesting. It talked about about ownership in general, particularly like for the being a New York owner. It's from ESPN. Uh, this came from this is more from the from the NFL side. One particular player played for New York mentioned uh, how the owners don't adapt and you can be left behind. Basically, if they don't when you don't adapt to the changing basically to the changing scene around the NFL or any, basically any team for that matter, you get left behind and they're so stuck in your, here, I'll read it right here. This is from Brandon Marshall. I love the owners, but they're so stuck in. This is how you're supposed to address when you go to the practice field. This is the giant way. This is when he was with the giants. And then when you go from, let's say from the jets playing under the Johnsons, when you don't adapt and you get rid of the pieces that were working and that were that were key to making this team good, and then you let them go, and you see what the teams now be- have both become over the last 10 years. I mean, just how do you – the ownership has been such a problem in New York for years. When does it change? Well, I mean, yeah. that's, the, that's the difficult part, right? Like, you really – you can't change ownership <laughs> without – Without the most draft, without going against everything that a fan believes in, right? Like that's how you really change owner. You just don't go to the games. You don't watch the games. You, you know, do all, all that stuff to, to, you know, and you know that we know that really hurts Dolan's feelings in particular. Um, that's, that's, I guess the best route a fan could take, but that that's unrealistic for most fans. I mean, it's, it's, I mean, you, you painted the picture before. I mean, the Mets, have new ownership. So you got to give them, you know, him a little bit of time. Uh, the Yankees, the Yankees problems get a little overstated, you know, cause they're the Yankees. It's not like they're not a competitive team. No, it's um, Hal's fault. <laughs> but, it's Hal's fault. But it's not the, the Giants, same team since George. The Giants somehow became the Jets and you can't separate them. I don't know how that happened exactly. No, the Giants became the Browns, actually. the Gi- <laughs> They became the Browns. Well, the Browns got good because of Baker. The Browns got Baker, but now they're good now, and now they're watchable. Well, no, they were the old Browns. The Browns from, like, the past 15 years. That's what they've become. And I know they're not, like, the city's team at its core, and I know especially Nick fans feel a certain way about them, but, you know, if you want to root for a team that looks like it has good stewardship and, and chances, it's Brooklyn right now. Honestly, we we started off downtown sports in Brooklyn, so I, I don't mind rooting for the Nets at this point. I really don't because I want to actually watch something and be pr- and be proud to watch it. I don't want to have to watch something and look like I'm watching like I'm watching a game for fantasy football points when I'm watching my own team. That's what I've been feeling like with especially the Giants, the Jets, and the Knicks, especially. Hell, even the Jets over the past 20 years have had some moments that you could be proud of. The Knicks had one playoff series and one year where they got to Indiana. And the Knicks have won one playoff series since I graduated from high school. Wow. Yep. Wow. That's pretty much that's pretty much all you need to know. But I I think I might have figured out the solution. Now, Robin, tell me if the we need there's one we found the billionaire that wanted to buy the Mets that grew up as a Mets fan. Is there a like maybe we could like a, as fans go find the billionaire that really loves the team and convince them to go spend a boatload of money to buy it. I think that's the only way a fan could possibly change it. 
you while also still being to, a fan. <laughs> you have to incentivize the current, you know, like the Wilpons had their financial issues, right? Um, with the whole Bernie Madoff thing. So that probably eased the, the Cohen transition. Um, I don't know if you want to go, you know, and find some recordings of Woody Johnson somewhere. <laughs> Same thing, you know, ask to ask to cover uh, JD in the Straight Shot concert, and then keep a recorder on backstage or something. Uh, you know, I, I don't know. It's it's getting rid of an owner is tough. Uh, it's tough. You don't see that happen too much. But yeah, I mean, that's as good a plan as as any. But I, you know, it's yeah. I, I it's wish I had better. Yeah, it's kind of loopy. It's kind of out there, but um, it's just been loopy and out there to be a New York sports fan. It's just kind of sad. We're the greatest city in the world here, and we don't have teams that represent it well. I mean, shouts to New York City FC. We had New York City FC. We won the MLS Cup. Like I said, shouts to them. And (laughs) yes, the Brooklyn Nets are finally like bringing some sort of hope. And the Rangers. Uh, well, Dolan, Dolan's actually starting to focus in on them a little more than oh, the no. Knicks, so I'm scared about no. that. I think that's where uh, the Dolan cloud has finally risen over the hockey team. So. Oh, no, no, no. Well. It, it, Dolan will appear somewhere, somehow, some way. He always does. It's just like a he's like Beetlejuice. You say his name 20 times, he shows up and wrecks your team. But, Robin, I just one final uh, question. I, my definition of hope, I guess, because you asked me what it was before. My definition of hope is being able to watch the product and feel like any of these teams have an actual chance to win versus watching it and just knowing knowing what's going to happen before you even before you even turn it on. Is there any hope that we're going to get out of this malaise of Honestly, terrible play. We we haven't had a championship until NYCFC. Well, uh, there's two things I think that can turn around a franchise, right? Mm-hmm. Um, good leadership, and I mean, you saw that with. Well, I'll use the Nets as an example, and whatever you can question the Nets bringing Kyrie back. I'm not saying they're beyond reproach or anything, but they, I think they've proven themselves in the sense of they had no assets and they were able to put themselves in a position where they were attractive destination spots. So good leadership, ownership, trickle down, whatever. That's one way to do it. Uh, and these things are related or to a transcendent kind of talent or player. So if you're the jets, you have to hope that's Zach Wilson, right? Um, had so far not showing that, but he's early in his career. If you're the Giants, I think you have to hope whoever you draft this year is is that guy. Um, I same goes with the Knicks. I think you're that's probably their best shot is the draft, um, and just really hitting one of those picks. Um, but uh, beyond that, and then the the baseball teams are in in okay shape. The baseball teams are not in terrible shape. Mm. I mean, um, I, I you know the Mets have made some moves, and the Yankees are. The Yankees are a disappointment because they didn't win the World Series, but not because they suck. Yeah. <laughs> well, the last thing I wanted to you said Ben Simmons was the better trade piece. Do you why do you think Ben Simmons would fit with this team at this point? I mean, because honestly, I, I don't see the use of a guard that doesn't shoot. Well, I, I, I don't know if I typically I would define him as a guard. Um, 
you know, I think there are different, I think Ben Simmons might be a center uh, or, you know, power forward center who handles the ball. Some um, can play both. They'd be surrounded by shooting. Let's say, let's just say it's February and you're able to trade Julius Randle in two ones for Ben Simmons. Uh, you'd have to make some salary match or, you know, it's before then and you trade RJ Barrett, uh, Fournier and two ones for Ben Simmons. Simmons is what the reason I say that is I think he's the most talented piece that's acquirable without having to clear everything out. And then you try to optimize his role, put him in a role that, you know, where you're playing fast, where you're surrounding him by sh- with shooters, where he's playing a hybrid role. Sometimes he's bringing the ball up. Sometimes he's the screener, you know, and, and then uh, initiating the offense off the, the, the role um, and, and hope he develops a little bit more. I mean, I, I think he's never going to be a scorer. He's never going to be a shooter scorer. You have to know that coming in. Oh, Tom, but, that, this is somebody Tom Thibodeau loves, a guy that he can mold into a great defensive player. He took some yeah. people like that that weren't that never really were scores. Take Nerlens Noel, for example. Turn and, him in. And Simmons has a lot more people. talent, right? I mean, like Simmons yeah. was a player that the argument was Simmons or Embiid, right? Like yeah. that was the argument. Or Simmons was the you know culmination of the process at one point. Okay, he may not be that, but that doesn't mean he's trash. And you know, so I only say that because you know he's available. It's not going to take what it once was, what it once took to get him. And he'd be the most talented player the Knicks have. Yep. So why not? Pull the trigger. Pull the trigger is all I can say to the Knicks right now. Either that or just uh, tank for whoever. I don't even know who is in the draft at this point. There's no breakout player that everybody's talking about in this draft, but there needs to be somebody. There needs to be something done because I'm, I'm literally about to start buying Brooklyn Nets jerseys if this doesn't change in the next. Right now, the years. early right now the early favorite for the number one pick is uh, out of Duke, Paolo Banchero. He is right now. I think the, it's him and uh, Chet Holmgren. Yeah, Holmgren and, Bal- and Balcero. Banchero. Those are the two at the top right now. Well, we'll see if something changes, but these are your top two at least for the draft early on. Let's tank for some of these guys because. Uh, I think it's about time. Although, watch the Knicks would get the worst record in the NBA and then get the fifth pick in the draft. You know, it's happened to them before. Robin, Sports Illustrated, Mad Dog Radio on Sirius XM. Thanks so much for coming on. And uh, I, I guess making us feel a little bit better, making us uh, have a little bit of a, at least me, because I, as you could tell, I was mind gone over this team and the, these Knicks and it just got me thinking about all the bad stuff that New York sports has gone through. And yeah, <laughs> it, it, it was, it's just, it's, uh, it needs to get better. It has to get better. Robin, thanks so much for coming on. Bing bong. <laughs> Thank you, Robin. <laughs> all right. And with that, that's going to conclude this edition of downtown sports. I want to thank, Robin Lundberg for joining us on this portion. I want to thank Tony Mainville for providing us with our NBA top 10. You can listen to downtown sports on 16 different platforms. We are on anchor breaker, Spotify, radio public overcast, 
Pocket Casts, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Castbox, Bullhorn, Pod Day, Listen Notes, Podcast Addict, Verbal, Castro.fm, and Stitcher. We have rants, episodes, digital market battle specials every Tuesday, Wednesday. We are downtown sports, and we are where sports come home. I want to thank Girl Friday. I want to thank Chris as well. It has to get better. It really does have to get better. Because this is the greatest city in the world, New York City. And we've seen it fail, and we've seen things like this year after year after year. And it's like the same patterns emerge over and over and over again. For the PC, Jonathan Pariente. I'm the mouth of the South, John Schiavone. Thanks for listening. I- I'm we out. <laughs> Bye-bye. Goodbye. <laughs>